Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, we'll talk about the return of Green and Fit Springfield, a volunteer cleanup event happening this Saturday. And we've got a whole lot of hip-hop with Acrobatic, a rapper and UMass Boston lecturer coming to Bombix this weekend as part of the Power of Truths Festival. And we'll talk with Chef David Trier, bringing the hip-hop legend Large Professor to his restaurant daily operation in East Hampton this Saturday. But first... Time for our weekly conversation with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Worcester's own Jim McGovern, a segment we like to call McGoverning with McGovern. You can send in any of your questions for the Congressman, whether you're in his district or not, at the fab413 at nepm.org, or you can text us anytime, 1-800-639-9120. Congressman, we all got a little glimpse into how the sausage gets made this week in regards to the debt ceiling. From NPR, after overcoming internal divisions, the Republican-led House of Representatives approved a bill Wednesday led by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy that links lifting the country's debt ceiling with spending cuts and a series of GOP policy changes. There were a couple of overnight concerns addressed by GOP members. They eliminated the plan that was going to repeal tax credits for ethanol products. Ultimately, it was passed by a two-vote margin. Four Republicans pulled away from Speaker McCarthy, and you were tweeting about an all-night session in the Rules Committee. Give us a glimpse into what went on this week with your committee and in the House of Representatives with this debt ceiling debate. So the Rules Committee is the committee that every bill has to go through before it goes to the House floor, and so this bill being no exception, we had over six hours of testimony, um, and then we adjourned because the Republicans didn't seem to have the vote. And notwithstanding the fact that Kevin McCarthy said not a word would be changed, they were contemplating changes. We were told to meet, come back and meet at 11.30 at night, so all the Democrats came back to the Rules Committee at 11.30 at night, and we sat there until 12.15, and then we're told, uh, well, we have to make some changes, come back at 1.45 a.m. Uh, and so around 2 o'clock, we began to consider the bill. Um, and some of the changes, by the way, were not just the ones that you just mentioned, but included uh, making it easier and quicker to throw people off of their health care. Uh, so apparently the bill wasn't mean enough for some of my uh, Republican colleagues. So they made it meaner. Um, and then at about quarter of three, we reported on the Rules Committee and then we were on the floor yesterday and I handled the rule for, for the Democrats. And this is a, a terrible, terrible, terrible bill for a whole bunch of reasons. At issue here is whether America pays its bills. We have paid our bills in the past and we should pay our bills. It's like a credit card bill. You accumulate this debt and you have to pay when your bill comes in. If you don't, your credit rating gets damaged. And in this case, we don't pay our bills. Not only will our credit rating be damaged, we could see another recession. We could see major job loss. Wall Street could crash. I mean, all kinds of horrific things will happen. And we have a vote until July to figure this out. But what the Republicans did is they said, we, we, we're not going to let you raise the debt ceiling. What we, what we want to do is we're going to not give you a debt ceiling bill. We're going to give you a ransom note. And the ransom note is in order for us to be able to lift the debt ceiling to keep the economy afloat, you have to agree to 10 years of draconian cuts and everything, uh, with the exception of defense spending. And you can't touch the tax cuts for millionaires and billionaires, which means about a 22% cut in everything else, which means that a million people would lose their SNAP benefits. Meals on wheels would be cut. Veterans' health care would be cut. Environmental protection would be cut. Everything would be cut. And it's a statement of their values. And quite frankly, I don't share their values. It's perfectly okay to say we should have a discussion about getting our fiscal house in order. We ought to have that discussion on the budget and on the appropriations bills. But getting our fiscal house in order by just sticking it to poor people and to regular people 
in my opinion, is unacceptable and unconscionable. The Democrats are spinning this as the Default on America Act, and it uh, does have a, a bunch of different things that you've mentioned in regards to different cuts that they're asking for. Has this happened in your time as a congressman where the debt ceiling debate was being used as a negotiation for the budget? Because I think, you know, as you've even alluded to here, it makes sense to debate what is going to go into a budget, what programs are cut, what programs are better funded. Has the debt ceiling debate been used even by your own party in this way before? Well, I mean, the debt ceiling should not be politicized. And when Donald Trump was president, we voted to raise the debt ceiling three times. I mean, I didn't agree with Donald Trump's priorities. I mean, I didn't agree with the bills he accumulated, especially tax cuts for billionaires and big corporations added trillions of dollars to our national debt. But those bills were accumulated, like it or not. We had to pay for them. And in the past, when people have tried to use the debt ceiling, you know, as a uh, cudgel, as a, to be able to get something, it usually doesn't work very well. And in fact, it sets a precedent that means that here we are. And by the way, what, what, what they're suggesting here is that we go along with them on these cuts, but we're going to be back again in a year to have the same discussion. You know, as I said, we, they had to change the bill in the rules committee at two in the morning because the right wing is fighting with the extreme right wing. For some of these people on the extreme right wing, this doesn't even even mean enough now. A handful of them voted no on it because they wanted even deeper cuts to programs that help people. I should tell you, as an interesting footnote, the vote that put them over into the majority on this was George Santos, Uh um, if that's what his real name is. I don't even know what the hell his name is. But anyway, so just understand where we are. Look, what you ought to do is let's pay our bills. America pays our bills. If you don't pay your bills, there are consequences that will impact everybody. This is not just some academic debate. This could have a real impact on our credit rating, on, uh, on interest rates, on investments, on jobs. I mean, we can't fool around with this. This game of Russian roulette that the Republicans are playing, quite frankly, is, represents an all-time high in recklessness and stupidity. We ought to stop this. You don't want to vote for the debt ceiling increase? Don't vote for it. You don't want to pay our bills? Then fine. Go on record saying you don't want to pay our bills. But let's get that done, and then let's fight over our budget priorities. Look, Republicans control the House. I'm really upset about that, but it's the reality. I'm not going to get all that I want uh, in terms of these budget priorities, but we we ought to begin that negotiation and start moving toward making sure we fund the government at the end of the year, but not playing this dangerous game with our economy. U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern. McGoverning with McGovern, we're talking about the debt ceiling debate that was going on all this week, which narrowly passed on Wednesday. And you are saying that some of this stuff should be up for debate. I know the farm bill is up for debate, and that could be where a lot of things like SNAP and food stamps, which were part of this issue in regards to what you're saying is holding the debt hostage, were were wedged into the Republicans' plan here and Speaker McCarthy's plan. One of those issues is raising the age of the mandatory uh, work requirement to 55 or 56. I've actually seen it in two different places. I'm not sure exactly where that ended up landing. There is a work requirement to be on SNAP or food stamps for people of a certain age and people of certain abilities already, which I think a lot of people don't know about. Do you think that this is going to be a dead in the water bill with this debt ceiling with the Republicans here and that this will all come up again when the farm bill actually is debated a little bit later this year? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think this is coming attractions of what we can expect in the farm bill. Let me just say this. The chairman of the Budget Committee, who authored this bill, came before the Rules Committee, and the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee came before the committee. And I asked them, just about the topic you just raised, and I asked them, who are these people who you think should be working who are not working? Do you know who they are? Did you do a hearing to find out who this population is? And I got a blank stare. 
the reality is the people we're talking about are people who are homeless, undiagnosed mental illnesses, living in rural areas that don't have access to transportation to get to anything. It's a complicated population. I then asked them, do you know what is the average length that somebody is on SNAP, given the fact that they feel so strongly about you know curtailing this program? And they didn't know. I said, well, the average person on SNAP is on it for less than a year. I then asked them this really tough question, uh, which was, do you, even, do you know what the average SNAP benefit is per day? What does somebody on SNAP get on average per day for their food? They had no idea. I said, it's $6 a day, $2 a meal. So that's what we're talking about here. And the fact that the chairman of the two committees that brought this bill to the floor had no clue about any of this stuff tells you, you know, where their mindset is. They don't care about the reality. All they care about is a narrative uh, that plays to the cheap seats, that beats up on four people, that basically tries to demonize anybody who may need the benefit. Because the fact of the matter is the majority of able-bodied adults without dependents who can work and who are on SNAP actually do work. And that's an inconvenient reality for the Republicans. And in the Farm Bill, they're talking about extending the work requirement uh, to able-bodied adults with children. And one of the proposals would be that if you are, if you have a child who is seven years old or older, then you, in order for you to get SNAP, you have to, you, you, there is a work requirement. Now, I mean, I don't know how they're going to afford people afford childcare. You know, people's lives are complicated. A lot of people with children who aren't SNAP already do work. Let's let's understand the complexities of life, uh, the realities that people deal with. I mean, everything can't just be, you know, these sound bites and everything fits into a nice category. Life is complicated. If you are low income, if you are struggling, you have to put food on the table. Life can be overwhelming. So let's help people get food because that's all this is about. It's food. And let's, let's just try to help get people on a steady footing so they can be the kinds of parents they want to be so they can feed their families. This should not be a radical idea. But the ignorance, the, the lack of knowledge of the authors of this bill, not even to take the time to even understand what the program is, to me, was just stunning. Congressman McGovern, your office announced this week that next week there'll be a big formal announcement that the Jones Library in Amherst is getting $2 million in federal funding to support preserving its history and renovating its facilities. Where did that $2 million come from for the Jones Library in Amherst? Some of it came from an earmark that uh, that we put in uh, into the appropriations bill last year. Some of it comes from, you know, the... Uh, energy portions of the appropriations bills and the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that can help deal with some of the issues that can make the library more energy efficient um, and kind of in compliance with kind of our green vision of the future. Look, I love libraries. Um, and I love that library. Jones Library is really incredible. And, um, and, and we need to support our libraries, especially now when we have people trying to ban books trying to censor what people have access to and trying to control, um, you know, what is in our libraries. We need to support our libraries. They need to be as user-friendly. They need to be as, you know, modern in terms of technology so that people can have access to everything. And uh, we need to celebrate our libraries. And so I'm really happy uh, that we're going to be able to do that next week. A listener question from our regular questioner, Dr. Dave Gottsagen, who works at Holyoke Pediatric Associates, asking, 
He says, we're in the midst of a medicine shortage crisis. In his 30 plus years as a physician, he's never seen anything like it. It was Tylenol and Motrin, then antibiotics for kids, then ADHD meds. Pharmacists tell him that there's a a shortage of adult meds too. The shortages come and go. There's no rhyme or reason. When he prescribes a substitute, insurance won't cover it. He says a pharmacist friend says the NSA is investigating and he adds, he's not one for conspiracy theories, but is this big pharma trying to get back at Joe Biden for trying to regulate drug prices, he thinks Congress needs to investigate. What do you know about this drug shortage that Holyoke pediatric Dr. Dave Gottsagan is talking about? Well, I appreciate the question from Dr. Dave, but I've heard that from others as well. And we're trying to get to the bottom of it to figure out, like, what is the cause of this? I mean, there's no, there's no, doesn't seem to be a shortage in, in the supply chain. Um, you know, why is it that we're getting these reports that uh, that there, there are people are, are, are having difficulty getting access to certain drugs? Before I get into the conspiracy theory realm, we're trying to get some answers here. We will stay tuned on this, but Dr. Dave is not the first person that's reached out to us, and we've reached out to HHS to figure out what is their take on it, and we're waiting for them to get back to us, and I'll report back to you. Last question. Politically, a big announcement from your party this week that President Biden will seek a second term. There's been a lot of conversation about uh, his level of popularity, his efficacy, his handling of certain domestic and foreign issues, as well as his age. What's your take on the Biden announcement that he's running for a second term as president? He made the announcement. I support him for re-election, you know, and I believe that he will win. And I, I get it. I mean, all these issues that people raise, those are legitimate issues for people to talk about. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to vote for or against Joe Biden because of his youthful looks or lack thereof. I'm going to vote for him based on the issues that I care about uh, and on the policies that I think will be good for this country and for the world. Uh, there's an awful lot at stake. We have come out of a pandemic. We have made some incredible progress. We've passed some important legislation, the biggest infrastructure bill in history, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act to take on uh, the challenge of climate change, uh, the CHIPS Act to deal with supply chain issues. And, you know, we are pushing back on some of the bigoted and backward policies of the previous administration. Is he perfect? No. But I don't know when I, whenever, I, don't, I, I can't remember the last time I voted for a perfect politician. Maybe once when I first ran for office. But then I served a couple of years. Then I served a couple of years, and I, I, and I, you know, I wasn't so perfect anymore. They voted for me again for re-election because I was better than the other guys. So at the end of the day, I mean, this is about you know, our values. This is about you know policies and things that matter in our lives, and that's where the focus needs to be. And uh, and again, if it's Donald Trump uh, versus Joe Biden, I mean, you know, please, I mean, for the sake of the world, we need to make sure that Joe Biden gets reelected. U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Congressman Jim McGovern, a weekly segment. You can send questions for the congressman, and I'll ask them on your behalf, The Fab 413 at nepm.org, or you can text us 1-800-639-9120. Thanks as always, Congressman. All the best. Be safe. Coming up, Colleen Shanley Lovelace, President and CEO, and Ethel Griffin, Director of Programs, both from Revitalized Community Development Corporation. Didn't think that would be hard to say about the return of Green and Fit Springfield, a volunteer cleanup event happening this Saturday. And we'll talk with Chef David Trier, bringing up the hip-hop legend, large professor, to his restaurant daily operation this Saturday. Up next, Boston-based rapper and UMass Boston visiting lecturer Acrobatic and Michael Lawrence Riddell from Self-Evident Education, bringing the Power of Truths Festival to Bombix in Florence this weekend. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM! 
sporadic and I don't smoke crack. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. The second annual Power of Truths Arts and Education Festival is this Saturday and Sunday, April 29th and 30th in Florence at the Bombic Center for Arts and Equity. And we have two folks involved with the festival here now. Michael Lawrence Riddell is the executive director of Self-Evident Education, a nonprofit dedicated to helping educators and communities in their quest to honestly and rigorously understand the histories and legacies of systemic racism. Jared Bridgman, better known by his stage name Acrobatic, is a hip-hop artist from the Dorchester neighborhood of Boston, where Khalees grew up and where I was born. In addition to his powerful music message and stage show, Acrobatic is an educator currently teaching at UMass Boston. Thank you both for being with us in the Fabulous 413 today. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> now, um, Yeah, glad to be with you. Excellent. Mr. LR, Michael Lawrence Riddell, yes, former public school educator who kind of left to, to develop this programming, which has become controversial in this country all of a sudden, yeah. to really honestly look at the history of racism in this country. That has turned into self-evident education, and uh, an offshoot of that is this Power of Truths Festival happening this weekend in Florence. Tell us about the Power of Truths Festival and, and what to expect before we dig in with Acrobatic, who's with us. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the Power of Truths, it'll be two days uh, filled with um, community conversations all centered around the power of arts and education to change the world, right? Um, so we're bringing in people, um, educators, artists, performers, um, scholars, authors, podcast hosts, you know, just a wide variety of people um, who are all going to present different views, different perspectives uh, centered around, again, that central idea of the power of arts and education to help us change the world, to use arts and education to understand our past so we can better understand our present and envision and build a just future. That's that's the central work of the festival. One of the people who will be in multiple roles there yes. as an educator and as a performer joins us and uh, presenter and presenter is acrobatic jared bridgman who's a yes, guest indeed. lecturer at umass boston teaching about the history of hip-hop and hip-hop as history coming up a little bit later we're going to talk about large professor who's going to be performing in east hampton uh that same night who's part of living hip-hop history which is so excellent there's a pile of hip-hop happening in the yes Broadway and then there's a tribute saturday. to native tongues happening on saturday I in springfield know, it's like so. we're getting it all out in one shot <laughs> yeah i want to spread it out a little bit more or just make it happen every weekend right? which seems yes keep it going all the time that's right exactly so tell me about your class at umass boston and is any of that going to be coming to this uh this so this festival happening this weekend, the Power of Truths Festival. Well, again, thanks for having us. And uh, as far as far as the class at UMass, um, right now I'm currently teaching two courses. They're Ooh. slightly different, but but they both uh, you know focus intensely on the origin story of hip hop. Um, we get to have uh, guests and practitioners from from different elements of the culture come in and talk to the class. I do a lot of lecture myself and share a lot of my experiences over the last man quarter century that I've been out there doing it as a pro. You know what I mean? So it's like hip hop. Hip hop's had fifty years, and I've been there half the time as a professional doing my thing. So I probably. I probably got right. one or two things to share in a classroom setting, you know what I mean? And, and and so the students seem to appreciate that a lot. We have an American studies course that really focuses on, you know, uh, 
serious events in American history, particularly modern American history, and hip hop's response to them. And that really coincides with what we're doing with Power of Truths. And then I have an honors college course, which uh, focuses on, on, on all those things, but then also really zooms out and looks at global hip hop and hip hop around the world and how, how it's become just a power you know, a powerful voice, a powerful platform for people all over the world, whether it's, you know, women in Iran speaking out for women's rights, you know what I mean? It, it could be people in, in Brazil making music that speaks to the political climate, especially with everything that was going on during the pandemic and stuff like that. So there's so many places where hip hop pops up in world culture and, and, it, and it really is a cool opportunity as an artist myself to be able to teach about those things. Does it feel different teaching at UMass Boston than it did teaching at Prospect Hills Charter School with like the younger folks? Where at Prospect Hills? Um, oh, Prospect Hill Charter School is in Cambridge. It, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That that's officially where I got my. Uh, and uh, thanks for doing your research on that. I, that's, <laughs> that's where I got my official official start as a teacher uh, in 2013 was with uh, Prospect Hill Charter School in Cambridge. And it was a little different in that, you know, in high school, not everyone wants to be at school every day. You know, so there's, 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 an element, there's an element of your audience, you know, being disinterested just because it's school, not because it's you or because it's your topic that you're teaching, but because I was coming in with the topic that was, you know, to most of them, infinitely more interesting than most of the things that they learned about in school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, so yeah. So, so that that kind of gave me a leg up. But in in college, I mean, it was a great experience at Prospect Hill, and I'm still in touch with some of my students from back then. They're doing amazing work. Uh, one artist that jumps out of my mind right now he goes by my compiled thoughts and he's an r&b singer at the time when i was teaching him he was like just a kid with some ideas and he had some rhymes and a couple of notes here and there and now he's making some of the best uh like just most beautiful R&B art that i've seen from anybody in years so you get to see people's growth arc as artists too doing this stuff but at umass you know everybody's paying tuition and it's an elective course, so you know for sure that everybody in the room wants to be there. So they're just ready to go right from the very beginning. And they really do seem to take well to the idea of learning from an artist who actually has been there, who's, who's you know, known and, and met a lot of the artists. We, we uh, use a lot of work from Chuck D and his PBS documentary during our course. And I get to tell them, you know, Chuck D is my mentor. You know, I get to talk to him, you know what I mean? And they're, and they're just like, oh, and then I'll really go crazy on him and be like, you know, I opened up for Eminem at his first ever show in Boston. You know, so they're, from there. they're eating out of the palm of my hand for the rest of the semester. Right on. You know, not but, to mention that Chuck yeah, D's making educational moves like across the board, like and genre list mean, too. He's who I want to be when I grow up. You yeah. know what I mean? Me too. All, all the way from <laughs> as an MC, a performer, just as a grown man, and as an educator, and as an artist, and just as somebody who understands what to do even with his downtime properly. You know, the man's got like multiple books of his artistic sketches and things like that that he just does in hotels while he's on the road and things like that. He's just a really, I feel like he's mastered human existence. So I definitely respect him a lot. We're speaking with Acrobatic, who is going to be part of the Power of Truths conference and festival happening this Saturday and Sunday at Bombix. 
in Florence. And we're talking about Chuck D. And of course, his work has been merged politics and activism and art uh, so frequently. And that's sort of what you've been doing with some of your teaching as well. And you mentioned that there's a couple of points, even in contemporary American history, uh, that you're talking about where hip hop had a major impact. And that's going to bleed into a little bit of what's happening at the Power of Truth Festival. What are some of those moments that stand out to you, Acrobatic, um, that that people want to hear about and focus on in that history? Well, you know, with Power of Truths, we go way back, you know, and with hip hop, you you don't get as many opportunities to go so far back to like, you know, you know, the 1700s, 1800s. But we have these moments that in these last 50 years of hip hop, when these moments happen, people step up and hip hop is where you can get the perspective of, you know, kind of like the perspective of the people that things are happening to versus, you know, the the media who's just kind of watching it and reporting it as something that happened. You know, so when I think of Hurricane Katrina and and the music that came out from different artists around that time and the different commentaries that were made, I mean, even commercial artists like Lil Wayne, you know, he had a song that was going at George Bush pretty hard. You know, Georgia Georgia Bush, I think he was calling him in the song. And, you know, I, I had a track called Kindred, which actually did go back to the the like antebellum South and and address some things there the same way the TV show does. And and then also brings it back though in a kind of time travel way to the events of Katrina, which is kind of what the TV show does there too. So, you know, that or like 9-11, my, my best friend, Mr. Liff, who is uh, my partner in the perceptionists, he uh, made a classic hip hop track called Home of the Brave after the events of 9-11, where he was one of few artists to step up and question the United States in terms of its involvement in the aftermath and you know going to war after that and just really speaking out in a way that maybe you know some media people might might say it's unpatriotic to to question what your country does but i feel like lif in that moment stood up and said no it's actually the most patriotic thing you can do because i know what my country is supposed to stand for and the behavior of the country doesn't seem to be in line with that right now and as a citizen who's here and pays taxes and is free i'm going to use my first amendment right to say exactly what the heck i want to say about what the government is doing around the world and so Hip hop has that power. That's that's power beyond imagination. A hundred years ago, for Black people, you know what I mean. So we have that now, and the way that we have mastered a language that we weren't even meant to read in the first place, we weren't even supposed to learn. We've mastered it and done the most with it in such a short period of time, and now we're using it to bring back to light things that either were long since forgotten or never learned in the first place that will help us have a clearer vision to what's going on now. And I, and I think that that's pretty much what power of truths and Mike, you, you know, you can back me up or correct me if I'm wrong. That, that, that's pretty much the it. aim of, of what we're trying to do. That's acrobatic. The educator and hip hop artist from Dorchester who will be part of this power of truths conference this weekend. 
um, Mr. LR, Michael Lawrence Rudell, apart from hip-hop, there's more that's happening at this festival. Can you tell us about a couple of the uh, other people who will be presenting or performing at the Power of Truths Festival? Yeah, certainly. You know, I just, and, and just to build a little bit on a few things that Ak was talking about, you know, the, the, the ideas of, you know, that Mr. Liff was getting out of, uh, about how the ideals of this country and are not being lived up to is at the center of the work that we do at Self-Evident, right? We're doing work to examine stories where the professed ideals of the United States of America are out of joint with the actual practices, right? And so that's what we'll be doing on Saturday night during the um, the show called Know the Ledge Hip Hop History Live. We're going to be exploring some of the stories from the self-evident education library of, of documentary films through music, through dance, um, you know, joined by people like Khalif Neville, uh, Marcia Gomes, Dutch Rebel. Um, three folks are coming out from Tulsa, from Fire and Little Africa Project, Written Quincy, Christina Suarez, and I Am Dez, both part of Suarez Republic. Um, so they'll be doing a, a a set that really explores the histories and the legacies of the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Um, and then in addition to that, I mean, on top of that, we're going to premiere um, our newest film, which is called If You Cross This Boundary, We All Die, which tells the story of, of William and Ellen Craft and their self-emancipation from slavery and really digs into that idea that Ack was talking about, about literacy as a tool for liberation, right? The ways in which literacy can be taken and used as a tool for liberation. Um, and that'll be followed up on the next day with a panel discussion with Ilion Wu, mas- uh, author of Master Slave Husband Wife about the crafts. Liz Pryor, um, Kelly Carter Jackson, you know, those phenomenal scholars, um, people who are award-winning authors are going to join us to talk about the histories and the legacies of, of the crafts and of other freedom seekers um, and why those stories are so important now, right? Why we need to know this history right now in the face of attacks on democracy and truth, right? And, and honest and accurate history. There are literal attacks. Like I was told I couldn't present to a group of teachers in Texas because they thought that it would be breaking the law for me to talk about history, about things that we have vetted and verified and, and, and done the research. These are true stories, but I'm told it's illegal. Um, and that's problematic, man. That's an assault on democracy. Um, and so, you know, that's what we'll be talking about at the Power of Truths with people who are much smarter than I am. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll wow you, the, the people that we have put together. So please come join us. It's going to be phenomenal. That is Michael Lawrence Riddell, who is from Self-Evident Education and one of the organizers of the Power of Truths conference happening this Saturday. And we were delighted to be joined by Acrobatic, the local hip-hop legend from Dorchester and Don't educator. know what part of Dorchester you're from, but shout out to Fields Corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what's up. You know, my rap style's changed like Rodman's hair. It's Acrobatic representing Cobman Square. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be part of the festival as well this weekend. Thank you both so much. Later in the show, President and CEO Colleen Shanley Loveless and Director of Programming Ethel Griffin of Revitalized CDC about Green and Fit Springfield, a volunteer cleanup event happening this Saturday. And up next, Jeff David Trier bringing up the hip-hop legend Large Professor to his restaurant daily operation this Saturday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. If you went to college and you were waiting for a class to begin and your professor didn't show up, depending on whether they were like tenured or PhD or whatever with five or ten minutes, if they don't show up, you could just leave and you would it would be an unex, an excused absence. And so we're in a little bit of that situation with a bona fide hip hop legend 
large professor who is coming to play at Daily Operations, which is a restaurant in East Hampton uh, this Saturday. So our hope is that large professor shows up for this class because we want to get some hip-hop education from him. But in, in the meantime, to... we got a wicked cool TA. Yeah, we do. That's right. And, he's, and he has been doing some amazing things in regards to bringing live hip-hop to the 413. It is the Best Chef nominee for the James Beard Award, David Schreier from Daily Operation in East Hampton, along with your wife, Jessica Pollard there. Uh, and, Dave, for, and Dave Clegg, our partner as well. And mm-hmm. and Dave Clegg. Uh, so kudos to that. That's Thank a huge you. honor. It's Thank like you. the the Oscars of restaurants. But you're bringing Large Professor and more to Daily Operation this Saturday. Tell us about why live music and hip-hop at the kind of restaurant that you run. Yeah, so when we moved to our new location, one of the things we wanted to do, just because we had the space, was try to have a live music component. And we built a stage. We didn't really know, like, kind of the level that we would be doing and who would be getting. Would we just be mostly doing local? You know, we just didn't know didn't know how it was going to roll. Um, so we kind of took it from there, the same same way that we did food when we first opened. We didn't exactly know what the menu was going to be. We just kind of went with what we felt. And it turned out that... Let me stop you right yeah. there. What? Tell me about the menu, because the menu is also really weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ecl- eclectic in like yeah. the best way. Yeah, so the menu, kind of from day one, yeah, ex- it's ex- exactly that. So people always ask us the same question, which is, what kind of food do you do? And it's a really tough question to answer just because... No, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough question to answer because we do so many different styles from around the world. But ultimately, the two focuses are making sure that we're always using uh, local farms and what they have throughout the year. That dictates the menu in the biggest way, just what's what's available and what we can get. Because the menu is ever just ever changing and ever evolving so that goes with the seasons and that goes with what we're excited about and also what we're bored with so sometimes people will be like oh you took off you know you took off stoner slaw you took off meatloaf yeah just we just got bored so so if you see things disappear it's just because we're not excited about it at that moment and we try to move on but yeah ultimately we do all different types of stuff but yeah the three of us and then our chef chef de cuisine josh we always kind of collaborate on making new menu items but not to roll with a theme, but just tell them that those items are on sabbatical. Sabbatical, yeah, no, that's I perfect. like it. That's perfect. And, but what's so great about Daily Op is that it, it, you know, as I mentioned, you're nominated for the Oscars of food, but when you go in there, it feels very cozy, very homey, like it's got a lunch, like a lunch counter type feel to it, and the space, industrial chic with the the big mill that you've moved into in East Hampton, which makes perfect placement for if you want to put on big shows, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and. It was kind of tricky thinking about moving from our, you know, kind of tiny spot on Cottage Street over to this bigger location because that was like the biggest, one of the biggest concerns was how to keep it cozy still and still feel, you know, still feel comfortable and like you're chilling at home. Um, So that took quite a bit of work to get to that point. But yeah, no, I think we, I think we did achieve it though. So this Saturday at 8 p.m. at Daily Operation in East Hampton, you're bringing uh, the legendary MC producer, DJ, Large Professor uh, on a double bill. Tell us about Large Professor and the bill and why uh, you wanted to bring these guys from New York to East Hampton. Yeah, so Large Professor, we used to do a lot of backyard and rooftop parties um, in New York. Did two with Large Professor back then, and he was just an incredible performer, and I was such a huge fan. And it really came down to that, like, 
you know, I'm just very deeply into hip hop. It's a part of my life. And especially given my age, a lot of it comes from the 90s. So, you know, <laughs> the heyday of his production was in the 90s. Yeah, just a massive fan. I've been listening to him since I was a teenager. Yeah, it was just kind of a natural choice when we're thinking about the programming of the shows that we're doing. We're talking with chef owner David Schreier from Daily Operation in East Hampton, who's bringing Large Professor, who was part of the pivotal group uh, Main Source, produced records for the legends Eric B. and Rakim, sort of was at the early days of discovering Nas when he was just a teenager and working with that, another legendary hip-hop voice. Who else on this bill, David? Yeah, so on this bill, we also have J-Live. J-Live is a really incredible MC, and also much like Large Professor, he's also a triple threat, and by that I mean he DJs, he produces, and he rhymes. And you don't see that too often in hip-hop, and as much as I love a lot of, of current hip-hop that's happening, it's just not something you, you currently see too often. So he's just a killer. And he goes back to, you know, I think his first, his first 12-inch, his first record was probably 95 or so. He came about in the late 90s when underground hip-hop was really taking shape as kind of a reaction to the Jiggy era and Puff Daddy, yada, yada. So he was, he was part of that. He was part of that New York scene, and he was a real standout. Thirdly, we have uh, Tablik. Tablik is from uh, Mass Pike. Now, Mass Pike, I grew up mainly in Florida and started getting into heavily into underground hip hop in the late 90s and early 0s. But Mass Pike was one of those groups where that just really hit me. But yeah, they're probably the most notable, notable group from Western Mass from back then. But just, yeah, just boom bap, classic, good rhyming, can't beat it. And it's all happening this Saturday at Daily Operation in East Hampton. I see a prevalence, and we're going to get into terminology, and I'm not going to explain, and I'll, we'll just have to do it later. Like, one of the things that, as, like, kind of an old head, like, like here I see in the shows that you book is a lot of boom bap, and actually I feel like that's, like, something that's been a mainstay of hip-hop scene locally. I feel like that might not have been intentional, but it's something that you're accidentally preserving. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I, I, I kind of internally battle with this all the time. You use the term old head, and I, I kind of embrace it in a, in a good way. Look, I, yo, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> but um, I love that stuff to death. You know what I mean? That's what I grew up on, and I can just hear that, like, 87 BPM in my head kind of all day. You know what I mean? So it's a part of me. But I love so many different types of things. And, you know, our opening show is was Arm & Hammer um, from Brooklyn, and I think they're quite the opposite of that. And they're kind of part of the new face of very exciting underground hip hop movement that really hasn't happened since the heyday of Rockus Records and Def Jux and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we love all different types of stuff. And I think that having, a, having diverse hip hop programming has been really great for us because when we do these... Um, you know, more boom bap, boom bap centric shows. Um, Which is a style, it's a sound, yeah. it's almost exactly as it exactly. sounds as a name. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when we do these, we've been able to pull a certain group of people. And then when we do, you know, say an Arm & Hammer show or a Quelle Chris show, pulling kind of a different group. And sometimes those two come together, you know what I mean? Sometimes there's an overlap, sometimes there's mm -hmm. not, but it's been great to have the exposure to different types of hip hop fans in different ages. I don't, 
feel like I have to do the full disclosure thing because I've been to a couple of like you've brought in names that I've been like, ooh, you're getting Billy Woods, awesome, I'm yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or like like when you brought in like um, Homeboy Sandman too, which I as I've heard rumor was kind of a hard get. <laughs> oh, Sandman, yeah, it was it was like, one of those. Yeah, with those, it's kind of again just having like the right connection. But you get a good swath, definitely. Of, like a good slice across the board of what hip hop does. And definitely, can. and and I I fully stand behind every single artist who has stepped on that stage, hip hop or otherwise. Um, so I'm really proud of that. Do you crate dig? Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's that's <laughs> up until the past like five six years, a lot. But yeah, once once the kids hit, it's it's slowed down a little bit. But yeah, no, I have. That's fair. I got but a lot of records. What's your favorite thing you found? What's your favorite? Talk about what crate digging, digging is. If you're going to use buzzwords, okay. you got to tell people what they mean. Yeah, crate digging is is another term that thankfully has made its made its way all the way to here now. But um, yeah, it just it just means <laughs> you're out buying records and you're going through you know older records, looking primarily for uh, samples and loops. If you're a producer um, in hip hop. But I think the term has expanded to kind of just a, a record buyer as well. Oh, yeah. Coolest thing I've ever found. That's a tough call. I will say the most I've ever paid for a record. I haven't bought a lot of expen- expensive records, but in 2004, I remember I paid $75 for Large Professor, the LP bootleg, because it had not yet uh-huh. been released. But that was the most expensive record I've ever, ever bought. But. And now it's come full circle. It sure has. Because Large Professor is coming to your <laughs> restaurant this Saturday. Chef David Schreier from Daily Operation, along with J Live and Tablik of Mass Pike. If Kalisa and I were to come to the restaurant tonight and want the Chef's recommendation, Daily Operation, what, what should we get? Yeah, let me think about that. Yeah, we have three or four really cool things that are very new that we're psyched about. One is a spicy silken tofu dish as like a ginger scallion garlic sauce um pea shoots because we're finally starting to get some of that farm stuff come in so anytime we can use pea shoots or anything like that we're psyched there's a ricotta gnocchi with a bolognese kind of spiced in a chinese style though um yeah yeah yeah, it's kind of a yeah sort of a mashup but yeah chinese flavors italian look if that makes sense couple nice. cool vegetarian sandwiches one of them is like a sloppy mapo grinder it's on our house made grinder roll basically tastes like mapo tofu but we make this little kind of vegan meat crumble but yeah it's just a big sloppy delicious vegan sandwich um what else kimchi and apple salad is really nice right now and then on the dessert side oh so many good ones yeah, you know, we have this nice, very simple donut right now. It's just a, a nice, crispy on the outside, uh, potato donut, lemon cream inside. There we go. I love it. <laughs> That's Chef David Schreier, who was nominated for a James Beard Award, sort of the Oscar of food, and who's bringing an excellent, legendary hip-hop show with hip-hop legends to Daily Operation this Saturday with Large Professor and Jay Live and Tablik of Mass Pike. Thanks so much. Thanks, uh, our professor didn't show up today, but that's fine. I think we got a great lesson uh, from you, the TA. Up next, Colleen Shanley Loveless, President and CEO of Revitalized Community Development Corporation, and Ethel Griffin, Director of Programs at Revitalized CDC, on the return of Green Fit Springfield, a volunteer cleanup event happening this Saturday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. <laughs> 
Welcome back to the fabulous 413. Green and Fit Springfield is back this Saturday, April 29th in the Memorial Square neighborhood from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Joining us are two of the organizers of the event, Colleen Shanley Loveless, President and CEO, and Ethel Griffin, Director of Programs, both from Revitalized Community Development Corporation, who happen to be an underwriter of NEPM, full disclosure. But that's not why we're talking with them. We just think it's great that this is a, uh, this event is back and that this neighborhood is a cool neighborhood in Springfield. So tell us, maybe Ethel, about the neighborhood, Memorial Square, and some of the, the folks that we can find there, the people that you're, you're working with. Oh, we, we're working with a wonderful group of people. Um, we're just so blessed that um, we're able to help. And majority of our work is going to be on the outside of the homes. And um, we just uh, we have quite a few that will be working on, uh, you know, handicapped ramps. Um, we're helping some with the painting of the house as well as making sure it is safe and secure for the homeowners. So we have about 12 homes that we'll be working on. And so we are very excited about that. But like I was saying, most of the work are going to be from the outside. We'll be working with putting, helping with the windows. Um, and it's just a lot that we, are, we will be doing. So we're excited about it. And this neighborhood is kind of around Bay State, the hospital, right? That's correct, yes. Um, we just finished up in 2019. Uh, we worked on 10 contiguous blocks in Old Hill neighborhood. And uh, from there, we decided in 2020 to move to the Memorial Square neighborhood based upon the needs uh, expressed from the city, from sponsors and, and donors and residents of the community. And we were all excited to kick that off in 2020. And obviously, we all know what happened there. And uh, we were on <laughs> uh, Something happened in Yeah, I, I know. It was, I yeah. am shocked. I tell you, shocked. <laughs> so it was very difficult for us because it's an annual event mm -hmm. and we haven't had it the last three years. So yeah. we're excited to be back and, you know, 2023 here and finally kicking off in Memorial Square. We have been working on homes over the last few years, mm -hmm. but with mostly uh, contractors to you know, replace roofs and things, but nothing where you can gather a thousand volunteers together in a day. And is that how many you have about? Well, we usually do have about a thousand. This year I'm a, I'm a little the possible rain, but it's rain or shine. Uh -huh. uh, so, and and one year we did have 800 people show up in the rain. Yes, I'll remember? That's right. <laughs> 800. Yes, that's pretty fantastic. <laughs> You're, are you rolling through the neighborhoods, the various neighborhoods in Springfield? And I say this in part because I live in McKnight, so mm -hmm. I've been like at our community meetings. We've been talking with representatives of Revitalized Springfield about our part of Mason Square and some of the things happening there and a park that's being, Magazine Park in my neighborhood, I think is being revitalized. It's not necessarily part of this specific event, but mm -hmm. like there are other things that your organization does around the city that are pretty cool for just, again, revitalizing. Yeah. Right, that's correct. So mm -hmm. we work all the neighborhoods of Springfield year round. Uh, we actually work Camden County, Hampshire County, and Franklin County, in fact, because we have uh, some work. We get referrals from Bay State, Mercy, um, C3, uh, their health centers, and they refer asthma patients and patients that also that have diabetes. So we have a asthma home repair and education program to eliminate triggers in the home, um, and then a nutrition program for people who have diabetes. So again, education and counseling. So wherever those patients might be, a Holyoke Medical Center, we also work with as well. So uh, that's a separate program from the Screen and Fit neighborhood rebuild. But, uh, uh, you know, we were founded in 1992. And that was really our 
annual signature event. It used to be all volunteer just one day a year. There was not a year-round program like mm-hmm. Ethel and I have it going now. <laughs> so <laughs> Keeping it green and fit all the time. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, and I said to her the other day, you know, because it, it's so much work. There's so much planning involved. It's really almost a year-long process. And I said, mm-hmm. boy, Ethel, we created a monster. <laughs> I said, and really, you know, it's just tremendous. People start calling in January. When can we sign up to volunteer? Yeah. Speaking yeah. of signing up to volunteer, someone who's missed all of the flyers, missed all of the announcements. Where do they go to help out? At revitalizedcd.com, they can register to volunteer. All the information is there, and um, you know about where the parking is, and all the logistics, and the food. And do you everything. need particular skills to be able to, like, or is it basically anybody, whatever skills they bring, you're going to find a place for them to work this Saturday? Whatever skills they bring, uh, where it's just planting flowers, uh, raking a yard. We have a place for them to go. And you were speaking about your neighborhood there. We, uh, a house was donated to us one time a few years back, and we totally renovated that house in that area. And uh, someone bought it right after then. You know, people was looking at it, and they, they fell in love with it, you know. And so um, we sold it to someone else. But uh, it was a wonderful adventure that but normally we do not take over a whole house. <laughs> you two are ambitious. You've been working together for a long time. You've become like best buddies. You go on vacation together, you were saying. Yeah, right? Why not? Revitalize the whole city. Revitalize the whole house. But I was only going to work a year, a month after Colleen came on, and uh, it's only been 15 years. So, you know, uh, That's because the longest month I've heard of. I know. I know. <laughs> but I, I fell in love with what we are doing to help other people, as particularly senior citizens and our veterans. Mm. And I fell in love with that because they serve our country, and then they come back home, and they are dealing with a house that's falling apart um, and is not livable. So we go in there, and we help them to uh, live a fulfilling life. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's Ethel, Ethel Griffin, the director of programs yes. from Revitalized Community Development, as well as Colleen Shanley Loveless, the president and CEO. The Green and Fit Springfield event is back on Saturday. Check out their website if you would like to and volunteer. They are an underwriter, but it's just an amazing thing, and that's why we're talking to them. Nothing to do with underwriting. Thank you both so much for coming Thank in. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're trying Thank to build you. a community. <laughs> Thank you. Tomorrow, a double, no, a triple shot of live music on Live Music Friday in the fabulous 413. Langhorn Slim and John Craigie are playing at the Academy of Music on Nor- in Northampton on Friday night. They'll join us in studio before their show. And we'll be joined by the elder statesman of the Valley music scene, the legendary Ray Mason. And we re-enter the Wine Thunderdome with Michael Quinlan at Table and Vine and Taste Vermentino. Our director is Tony, you piece of wonderful done. Our engineer is Betsy, yay botulism Cortis. Our technical team is Bart, indie rock gossip hour rank, and Kara, don't put that in today's show, Foster, and punk rock Dubay, who with all the hip-hop today I'd like to call Chuck D. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Jay Giles Band, Large Professor, and Acrobatic. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.